Okay, you all good? Let's do it. Hello and welcome to the B2C Lead Generation Podcast. You're listening to the B2C Lead Gen Podcast. My name is Daniel Hopewell here with Simon Delaney and this is episode 91, the C word. And that word today is compliance. And we are joined by Janine Patterson, the marketing law expert who's going to be helping us uh, try and dive into compliance today. Jean, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Um, thanks for inviting me on. Thank you for coming. We appreciate it. So it's the first time uh, we do talk about this kind of stuff before. But it's the first time we've uh, had a real dive into compliance, and hopefully we'll pick up some new things we've not discussed before, which is always good. Um, to get started, could you sort of explain what you do and how this relates to compliance for people listening? Certainly. Um, I'm basically provide advice to all sorts of brands and organizations on how to comply with all the rules that go around um, using data but also doing lead gen in, in general. Um, so I'm a solicitor. I've been qualified for 30 years um, and basically for the last 15 years I've been in this sort of area. Um, I used to work for the um, Data and Marketing Association um, was there for 12 years and for the last three years I've um, run my own company Basically, it means that I can actually advise a wider audience than just members of the association. So it's um, it's quite a interesting area and um, quite a niche, I think I would say. I think when I, because um, just for full exposure, I've used your, or us as a company have used your services before, and um, which were very good, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but the at the time, I was speaking to one of my colleagues, Ben Long, and um, we would, I can't remember what it was, we would needed some contractual terms or privacy policy help on this landing page or something. And I'd said to him, the part of the problem is that anyone we're sending it to doesn't know this world. So you spend most of your time trying to explain to them the mechanisms of how this works and why data gets passed. And he went, no, no, um, there's this lady, Janine, that we should speak to. She gets it all. She knows it all already. So that's why you're it's so great to have you on the podcast because you're not here just from a compliance point of view and a, a legal standpoint of like you know you actually understand the subject matter and I think that's so important for people um you know that buying leads generating leads just being able to work with someone that can actually they can talk on a level where they're like oh I get it you know I, I understand what you're trying to achieve um and that's why it's a great niche to be in I think Yes, it it is quite a niche, but it's it I I have benefited quite a lot from a lot of information, and certainly my clients have helped educate me as well about the the sort of the practicalities, um, which help to then put together with the legal side, and hopefully we get a good a good result. Yeah. So Janine, forgive me if uh, this is too broad a question, but um, as I'm not in any way legal, and I imagine a lot of people <laughs> who uh, are listening may not be either, can you sort of just touch upon some of the kind of legal advice you're actually giving to your clients um i can basically there's two sort of elements to when you're doing your marketing and advertising um you obviously got the ico so you've got all the data protection side so i advise on clients on how to make sure that they're if they're collecting consent for for doing something how to do that with um in accordance with the gdpr um also like privacy policies because obviously you need to tell people what you're going to do with their data um they need to be fully informed um so it's privacy policies your data collection statement that actually tells people this is what we're going to do with it if you agree to it 
Um, and then you've got the other side, the ASA, um, the Advertising Standards Authority. They have codes which obviously govern your advertising out in the real world. So whether you're doing that through TV ads or um, competitions and yeah, uh, just filling in forms, um, there are rules that they uh, govern, obviously, um, which you need to comply with as well. So I sort of help um, on sort of various aspects um, on sort of most of them I've, I've got do a lot of stuff on like competitions making sure that your competition terms are right and that you've got all the right permissions in there to be able to then use those people's data once the competition is ended because obviously competition is a way to get leads so you need to make sure that you're um, gaining the permission to actually talk to those people after the competition has ended um, but also looking at yeah privacy policies and making sure that the data protection side of of any lead gen is 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 perfect and um, just what the um, the brand or the company needs and I think some of the things that you touched on um, especially around potentially the ASA and the, the opt-ins and things like that so a lot of lead generators have one um, goal they're trying to achieve which is to get as many clicks on an advert let's say it was on facebook or it's on google whatever to go through to a landing page to fill that in because then they make money for every time a lead sold and then you have the buyer on the other end whose ultimate aim is to get consented data of a person who's interested in their product and be able to sell to them but there can be a massive juxtaposition between these two points and it all starts with that advert because that advert's not necessarily designed to make a sale it's designed to make someone click it um and do you see that as a problem often there is because obviously there is um what you have what you say in those adverts has to be obviously in accordance with the the code um and there's a i think there is a difference between trying to encourage people to uh click a a link to to go and enter a competition or or give their details in exchange for something um and obviously i think it's it, it's it's providing something of value to the person to say well if you do this this is what you're going to get um and that's a lot to do with i think the way that certainly a lot of lead gen is going and um for some of my clients who sort of do it in a slightly different way but certainly it's it's providing them with a very transparent process and they know exactly what they're getting into before they click that button there's no hidden things afterwards, which is, I think, used to be a bit of a problem. Um, I don't know, um, maybe still still a problem in some areas. Yeah, I think it's, the thing is, so with a competition, let's say it can be typically like co-reg sites, can't it? Um, mm. Obviously brands and things like that might have promotion. And so the co-reg site um, is slightly different because the mechanism of generating a lead is, to do with like then going down a path within the co-reg site but then you have like the solace form for which is just a landing page for i don't know life insurance or something that someone's put together but so what i've seen is adverts with um i don't know let's say a woman with a bra on and it's been for equity release we mentioned this in another podcast and they've gone um you know equity release help pay for these bad boys the person clicks it they go through to an advertorial uh that then explains something else and then they go into a lead gen form I, and someone sent this to me and i was like 
does the client know you're doing this? And they're like, no, no, they just think it's on that advertorial. I was like, you just, this is unreal. Wow. Yeah. I haven't seen, haven't seen that particular one, but there are very um, dubious ways that people seem to want to try and influence people to, to click a button for an end result. But the trouble is you get people that click it mistakenly um, and they end up on the other side and they're not going to be very happy I think when they realize they've been duped maybe and um, you then end up with a, a brand that might have a, a very bad view of it because of the way they've gone about doing that. Yeah. Do you know, I want to put an idea to you. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with this idea. I'm just putting it out there because I know some people do. Um, the ICO and the ASA, a lot of people I think have this perception that perhaps they didn't always know what's going on. They may be issue fines, but almost like on a scattergun approach, there's something of like a, a Russian roulette about it that you may get caught, you may get away with it. Um, do you think that's fair? Do you think that they, you know, they are aware of people who are sort of breaking the law, who are doing these things, or, you know, how are they identifying it and how are they issuing the fines? I think there's a, an element of truth. I think they do know that there is bad practice out there. And obviously their aim is to just try and stop that. But they certainly the ICO seem to say that they're out there to teach companies how to do it properly. Um, mm. And they do a lot of that in terms of the education they do, but also they see that the monetary um, penalty notices they put out there do sort of help to educate people. Um, the trouble is, I think, with um, both the ASA and the ICO is that they have limited funds limited people to actually go after all the people that they really ought to be going after um some of the latest ones or recent ones where they've gone after companies that have been not only breaching the law but also some very dubious practices as well with um there's a, a few where they were um, breaching tps but the actual way they did the phone calls were basically being aggressive and and basically trying to push the, the products they were selling to people who were vulnerable and had been targeted as such um, was they've sort of been exposed which is quite good um, and it's one of the things I, I say to to anybody that um, you might get investigated for a particular failing like failing to take into account the TPS um, but once they get inside your business they'll look at everything um, and all sorts of things can come to the surface that you might not really want people to know about so I think they're doing their best but they they don't have the resources and the the, the manpower to actually go after all the people that are doing it wrong um, they also need the people complaining about it which is certainly the ASA is the same one they if, if they get a lot of complaints they will obviously investigate but they can and I, I suppose to a certain extent the ICO does as well they can decide to investigate something of the off their own bat um the um ASA did one um about the new gambling rules that came in in October um an advert went out for Ladbrokes which um nobody complained about but the ASA complained about it to themselves um and that was upheld held um complaint so i'd love to have um, been in that meeting where <laughs> one guy sort of walked around to one side and walked <laughs> um, but certainly um i think i suppose i i would say that they're i think they're doing the best um i know there are some people that don't like the ICO, um 
I don't know the difference in and in, in actual information commissioner um has had a change of some people's view, but I think they're still um they're doing their best with with what they've got. Um I don't think yeah, most companies I think um if you're a small to medium enterprise, it's unlikely you'll get caught unless you do something really stupid, um, which is pretty obvious to everybody. Um, but it's not a reason not to to do the right thing, I suppose. I think that's right. I mean, it's because we'll see instances of it, but it's let's say from a lead generator whose turnover is a quarter of a million a year, which is fine for them, but for the ICO, they've got their eyes on companies who are turning over multi millions and you know huge fines being issued, and so I I think it can sort of slip under the radar. And this brings me nicely into just two points I wanted to ask you. So, um. What we'll often see on landing page, and you get it a lot with co-registration sites, is co-sponsor, which is the partners tab, you know, the opt-ins and whatever. What is the right way to do that? And because you'll see it on landing pages where it's a solace landing page for a particular product. So let's just say it was life insurance again or broadband. And someone goes through, signs up to broadband. Um, and then when they go to the end of their form, the form there'll be a tick box or sometimes it's just written within the legitimate interest that is partners and i think this is sometimes what can happen with the ico where there's sort of gray areas and so people will make their own assumptions about those gray areas and then they'll create the environment to exploit those gray areas if you see what i mean and you see some of them and think this cannot be lawful and it, it's one of these things where it's quite difficult to diagnose whether it is or not certainly if um if you're a co-sponsor you are a a third party so you should have a separate opt-in if you're gaining consent then you need that and certainly if you're a third party and you want to be able to send email then you're going to have to use consent anyway so you legitimate interests isn't going to um, isn't going to be enough. Um, obviously, if they were doing like direct mail, then that's probably okay. But certainly, most people want the ability to either SMS or email. So any co-sponsor needs to have a, a separate opt-in mechanism on that form, rather than it being tied up. And that's one of the major problems I see with all sorts of um, lead magnets, webinar, free webinars, or download this white paper or whatever. Lots of people are putting at the bottom of it um, one sentence that basically says, if you agree to, to if, if you want to go on the webinar or you want to download this, you have to agree to, and it's got how, God knows how many sponsors and, and um, third parties and, and sending you all sorts of things. And they lump it all together in one one permission and certainly that's I've seen quite a few on LinkedIn recently actually which um, I keep sort of writing the companies down and think I must send them an email um, and basically explain that maybe that's not what they ought to be doing yeah and um, in terms of the lead buyers of lead generators potentially doing something wrong what's the con do they who suffers the consequences from this sort of ICO level so let's say it was a consent thing or an ASA, there's a problem with the advert. How does the brand that who is buying the leads, um, how are they impacted? And, and what can they do to stop that? 
they they can certainly be impacted. Obviously, the um, ICO announced oh, earlier this month, I think, that um, they have um, reprimands that they give out to people, so they can do a mandatory penalty notice. But they uh, they had a more informal thing of reprimands where they get a complaint and they deal with it in a more um, low key way. Um, but those reprimands, you never used to understand, know what was going on. But now they're actually up on the ICO's website. So if you, and actually, I was, um, I was, yeah, I did have a little bit of a chuckle when I read that because actually, it's gone up there this month. Um, but they've actually backdated the reprimands that have gone on there. So if you were involved in one of them with the ICO last year, your name is going to be on their website. I'll have now. to take a look at that. I'll be but, interested but you, to see if we know anyone. Yeah. But um, yeah, and it, it's interesting because obviously when those um, cases were going through, they all thought it was going to be confidential and nobody would know. But suddenly now, I think it's twenty six companies had ones last year that are now on that on that page on the um on the website. And it's, it's bad. It's bad PR more than anything. It, and it, even in the terms of the fines, it's the bad PR harms well, it, them more. It it is. It's it's definitely the the um the PR the, the sort of the influence that um even being involved in some way because the other thing that the ICO has now started doing is in its monetary penalty notice if you read them it used to um basically redact any of the names of any third parties that were involved in the case so if they investigated a brand who bought data from a company um. They used to redact the name of that company, but they they've stopped doing that. So <sighs> if you've supplied data to somebody quite legitimately and they've gone and misused it and they get investigated, your name's going to be within and that. The, and the penalty. same vice versa, I'm assuming, if they bought it, it as well. Exactly. And that's a, a thing, I think, for, for if you're buying data, you really need to be careful and do your due diligence because, yes, if a company gets investigated because they're selling data wrongly and you've bought it and you haven't done that, then yeah, the, the effect on your reputation could um, could be significant depending on, especially the bigger you are, the more the, the effect could be. Yeah, because I think what happens in a lot of instances is that a lead buyer will just be in contact with the lead generator. They'll take a cursory glance at a landing page or a site or something think oh it looks legit it's, the colors look good or it looks well designed or whatever um and then just start buying leads they might even do um you know a bit of due diligence but it's not necessarily like as in-depth as what are the consent mechanisms are the opt-ins 100 percent? how are they like storing the data how are they going to transfer it to us and they, you know we um i mean we still have some clients that think uh it becomes like a battle that think transferring people's personal data via email is okay mm. and it's like this it's 2023 you can't do this anymore yeah no i i there's an awful lot of people that um are sort of yeah not not going to the extent they ought to especially given um yes it is now 2023 and things are changing and i think people are far more aware of what's happening with their their personal data and therefore they're more likely to complain as well if things go wrong which is then going to be a, a more likely that maybe the ASA or the I, ICO um, become aware of you. Yeah. Janine, I'd like to um, kind of end these podcasts by giving people a thought to take home with them um, if they should 
want to consider this on that evening, but um, people listening, they tend to be either lead buyers or lead generators selling leads. Um, what should, from your perspective, should they be wary of? Should they be thinking about? Are there any mistakes that maybe they're making, but maybe they don't even know they're making? You know, something you common, commonly see is an error that people are making that they need to sort of consider at the end of this. I think to a certain extent, this thing about um, when you're even, just because you're doing a simple lead generation thing, like you've got a, a white paper or you've got, you're gonna run a free webinar, make sure that you do have your um, permissions properly collected. Because um, you're gonna go through all that effort, especially if you're gonna run a webinar um, and if you haven't collected the right consent um, for you or for a co-sponsor or somebody, uh, another third party, then that's going to be a complete waste of time. Um, but also, as we were talking earlier about due diligence is just, that is, I think one of the, it's going to be the one of the buzzwords, I think for 2023, um, due diligence has got to be a lot more um, thought, thought through, but also do it properly right to the to the end. Um, don't do just a cursory glance, as you were saying, Simon, about the, um, you need to go past what's on the form and go behind it and see what, what happens when somebody presses that button. Where do they go? How are you looking after it? How is it going to be stored? And just make sure that you're completely happy with the way that any data that you might be buying, for example, or that you want to sell to somebody, there's going to be no argument over its um, good quality data. It's one of those things of um, quality, not quantity. Um, it's got to be king. Yes, great. Eugene, thank you uh, so much for joining us today. It's uh, been very nice to have someone in a slightly different role to not, you know, to the guests we normally have. Um, it's been, yeah, interesting to have someone who can talk us through this and more than just speculating about things actually I'm an expert here. So we really appreciate it. Um, you've been to guest. Thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. It was um, an enjoyable session. Thank you. Thank you. That was episode 91 of The C Word. Thanks for listening to the B2C Lead Generation Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe to hear more from those at the very cutting edge of the lead gen world.